I've always felt more comfortable in the out of doors than I do standing on the street in front of my own house. I'd like you to think about those words that you just heard. I've always felt more comfortable in the out of doors than I do standing on the street in front of my own house. Now that could be a quote from John Muir or Edward Abbey or Annie Dillard or Aldo Leopold or Henry David Thoreau, all of whom have said at one time or another that they much preferred being in the wilderness than being among other people in a city. But the person who said those words is Dudley Edmondson. Dudley is the author of numerous books about the natural world, including some of the most respected field guides we have. He's one of the finest nature photographers I've ever met. He's a filmmaker, a speaker, and a teacher. And he's a black man in America. I met Dudley because I saw him in a television documentary that was made about his work, and I was blown away by his images and by his ethos with respect to the natural world especially when it comes to how it relates to social justice. I contacted him and he agreed to be a guest on the program. We chatted for a long time and I love what he had to say. Have a listen. Hey Dudley, thanks for being here, man. Let's start with this. Who is Dudley Edmondson? Well, that's a good question. (laughs) I wear a lot of hats. Most people know me as a professional nature photographer yeah, I still do a lot of that work, but the bulk of my career was spent photographing for encyclopedias and dictionaries and field guides to birds and trees and wildflowers and mammals and all of that good stuff for quite a bit of, of my career. Uh, I used to travel a lot working on field guides for really all the states, usually a, a bird guide followed by a wildflower guide or a tree guide, et cetera. So I spent a lot of time on the road uh, doing that kind of work. You know, now I still do quite a bit of photography, uh, but I do a lot of video production these days, working both for clients, uh, doing projects usually around conservation or the environment or things to do with people of color, particularly people of color in the out of doors. So those are a lot of the video projects that I do. And then I I, I write books. And I'm actually working on a, a fourth book at the moment, trying to get that done. It's And then I, I do quite a few speaking engagements around diversity and inclusion in the out-of-doors. Uh, it's one of the, the main uh, topics I talk about, but uh, I also do bird-watching uh, hikes with people, uh, and I do enjoy talking to, to kids in schools of, uh, about nature and the environment. Your images are terrific, but you're also an accomplished author. Can we talk about your books? My first book was with Black and Brown Faces in America's Wild Places. My attempt to create a set of outdoor role models for the nation's uh, Black Americans uh, and the community, trying to get Get them to to be able to see people who look like them in the outdoors, uh, in in a very you know variety of careers as well as uh, you know just really enjoying the space. Uh, I believe that there are mental and physical health benefits to having a connection to nature, and and I believe that African Americans and and other people of color have higher levels of stress in this country than than white folks do. 
And so it was important to me to try to make that connection between nature and the environment and Black Americans. So that's was, was that book had about 20 or so people in it from a variety of backgrounds to just conservationists to assistant secretary of the interior was a Black man named Craig Manson. And uh, so just having this wide swath of, of people, different ages, different expertise, uh, but all of them were passionate about nature and the outdoors and, and, and had different entry points. And so that was first book created a children's version of that book as well that comes with the book. It's inside the back copy. And then I wrote a book on on wildflowers of uh, the eastern United States through uh, DK Books out of the UK. Um, so that was a, a nice little beginner's field guides to, to flower. Latest book is a book on scientists and environmental and social justice activists of color. So it's a, it's a BIPOC-only book, kind of doing the same thing in terms of creating role models, uh, showing people from really around the world, uh, but mostly here in the United States that are either in the environmental sciences as urban ecologists or ornithologists or, or different variety of things, as well as you know people who are doing environmental justice work in their communities, trying to shut down polluters and uh, people who are also doing environmental education. And so I just creating this collective of folks, again, trying to uh, this time create a a broader set of, of role models for people of color around the world. Your book, The Black and Brown Faces in America's Wild Places, is really good. What I like about it is the way that you kind of harness the power of story to give the people that are highlighted in the book a voice. You basically let them tell their story. But I also think you've tapped into something else here, which is that there's kind of a direct linkage between story and your photography and what it means to be human. Everybody has an interesting story, and most people's stories are more interesting to other people than their stories are to themselves. And that is what makes some of the work we do a lot easier because people are curious and people want to know about people. And if you're lucky enough to get someone to share their story with you, and then you can share that story with other people, just a a much more engaging process. And, you know, it's interesting because I think of myself more as a collector of stories than I am per se as a writer because I just collect interesting stories by talking to interesting people and let them tell the story. But you're right. Storytelling is is not easy and, and a lot of people don't get it right. And it's something I learned a long time ago from a video production editor who showed me the ropes about how to tell story and tell it correctly in a very engaging way. And I, I would say that is probably the single most important thing I think I've ever learned when it comes to producing content is being able to to tell that story. I mean, you really have to engage people in a, a manner that keeps their attention by either giving them things they can connect to, giving them things to celebrate, giving them things that make them almost despise the person who is there because that still keeps them engaged, whether they love the person and want to 
uh, champion their their cause or whether they despise that person. They're still paying attention. You know, one of the challenges that I see is that environmental or conservation groups tend to be, I don't know, preachy when it comes to getting people to be interested in or to become advocates for the natural world. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, how do you engage people in your own work? By telling somebody that nature is good for their mental health, that, that it's never going to connect. You have to actually convince them or trick them <laughs> into going out and then you just leave them on their own and let them absorb and, and pull that in. And for most people, once they get the bug and they, they realize, wow, this is relatively inexpensive compared to what a psychologist or something would cost. So I can just go and sit on this park bench every day and feed the pigeons and I feel better mentally. So what got you into nature photography? I think it was probably in, I don't know, probably my early years in, in college. I, I met a, a, a friend of mine who was into photography and he was shooting and processing his own film. And so that, that was also intriguing to me. So, so he and I got into that. Uh, but it was also a way to to really document the birds I was seeing. I'm, I'm a hopeless birder and uh, love watching and listening to birds. And um, so it was a way of keeping track of all the different species I was seeing as well, which then, of course, turned into my career as a, as a professional nature photographer. So it was a, it was a combination of, of those things that really got me into photography. Let's talk about wilderness for a minute. You have some interesting thoughts about what wilderness means, and in some ways, those thoughts are shaped by the fact that you're a Black man in America. Can we talk about that? I think it's important. I have a sort of con conflicting whatever about wilderness, at least by the definition of the way we define wilderness, which is typically spaces devoid of humans and untouched, pristine, which are good and bad because I really do believe that people are not necessarily a, a threat to wilderness and nature. Uh, people have traditionally, particularly indigenous folks around the world have always lived in harmony with the natural world. It's, it's capitalism and nature that are incompatible. And typically uh, that is what has happened in this country, the commodification of, of natural resources and soil and water. And I, I want to put that out there first, but really what I mean by that statement is that I find that when I am in wilderness, uh, particularly in areas that are de devoid of humans, uh, I hate to say it, but I think it's, uh, it's a place where I can be me and not have to worry about judgments of, of who I am as a Black man in America. I generally don't have to worry about law enforcement, folks coming after me, or I personally don't worry terribly much about, about you know, racist people being out there either. But, it, you know, I know that is a safety concern for lots of folks who don't get out on a regular basis. But I feel like in wilderness, I can be totally me the person that I believe is the, the, the true me. I've, I've always felt more comfortable in the out of doors than I do 
standing on the street in front of my own house because in that space, I am required to be a certain person. And in wilderness, I am not. I can be me, but on a, you know, a city street or in front of my own house, I have to be this nice, polite, approachable Black person that, that, that doesn't scare white people. And so you, you have to be thinking about that the whole time when you're in society as a, as a Black person or a person of color walking down the street. You, you, you can't give people cause to, to feel unsafe around you. And even though it's not your problem, it can become a very serious problem if someone feels threatened or feels as though you know you have ill intent and decides to do some vigilante stuff or call the police and all you were doing was just trying to find a parking space or locate your car in a parking lot. And so it's hard really for for particularly for black men to really let their guard down and, and trust that society will treat us fairly. And so I find that in the outdoors, I don't have to worry about any of those things. And that's why I thoroughly enjoy being there. You know, you're reminding me, one of my favorite quotes, which I have borrowed to use in quite a few of my own books, comes from Mark Twain. I think it comes from his book, Innocence Abroad. It says, travel is fatal to bigotry, prejudice, and narrow-mindedness, and most of our people need it sorely on all three counts. It is inconceivable to me that something as irrelevant as skin color or the shape of your eyes or the fact that you've got an accent makes you a target. I, I just don't get it. It is a hard concept to digest and understand why people feel threatened by you know, just people being different, people wanting the same things that they want, and somehow that's a threat to them that I want a job so that I can take care of my children and buy a house. I want a, a decent wage. Well, that's a threat to me, so I have to do something to, to keep you down. But I mean, I've always felt as though if everybody in this country got you know, the basics, the essentials of what they, they needed. I mean, imagine how much more amazing our country could be if we didn't have systems that have to subsidize and, and carry people. What if we get out of people's way and let them be all they could be and give them all the resources they need to be the best person they could be? What kind of country would we live in? It would certainly sure as hell be better than the one we live in now. No doubt about it. You're so right. You're so right. Okay, I want to shift gears for a minute. So one day you go down to get the mail and there's an invitation from President Obama to come to the White House. Happens every day. Tell me about that. You know, I worked some channels to make sure I got that invite because I knew that it was something I wanted to be part of. Some friends of mine had mentioned the event to me and then I just happened to be in D.C. at around that time giving a talk at uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service headquarters, and I got in, and, and it, was, it was cool to be in the room with, with a serving president, and then a serving president who looked like me was even cooler, and then just learning some of the, the, the protocol, which was really cool that, like, 
once he enters any building you're in, you're not allowed to leave whatever room you're in, which was like, what's that now? Uh, <laughs> so once he comes into the building, if you are need to leave a room, you are escorted by the Capitol Police or, you know, Sheriff's Department. I uh, was with a friend and and apparently they must have had different grades of, of invites depending on how soon or late you were. And I got a late invite, but depending on how soon or late you were invited, I guess might have determined where you were in the room. And so I went with her to the front two rows and and someone was like, according to your past, you're in the back of the room. So <laughs> I was like, oh, my bad. Okay. So I said goodbye to her and I went to the back of the room. But, you know, I was still there and it was uh, certainly a once in a lifetime moment. And uh, I got Christmas cards from the White House throughout President Obama's administration. So that was very special. He's a great, great man. I'm, I'm really glad you got to do that. Okay, I want to go down another divergent path here for just a second. There's a lot of talk these days in the corporate world primarily about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's important. But the more I think about DEI, the more I've come to believe that there's a letter missing, which is the letter B for belonging. Do you have any thoughts on that, especially in the context of getting more people out into the natural world about feeling like they belong there? Certainly, the belonging piece will encourage people to continue visiting a place, uh, being in a place where they where they feel welcome is absolutely crucial to, I mean, because it's one thing, and, and I don't know if it's a fair analogy, thinking about during the, the civil rights movement, uh, in particular with integration uh, of schools and uh, Black students in Arkansas being brought into white schools, you know, I'm sure they never had that sense of belonging. Uh, they were there because the government felt it was the right thing to do, and the children wanted a fair and better education because separate but equal was certainly not really something that was working. But I feel like that you know, those those young children, I'm sure, never felt as though they belonged there and they probably would have had a higher quality education if they had. So just even thinking about what you said, the diversity, equity, inclusion is not as important in some ways as the belonging piece. And I think that would be to the to the person experiencing it as opposed to the, you know, the corporation or company or entity that's trying to incorporate it into whatever it is that they do. When I think about it, the belonging piece is is absolutely crucial. It's the the reason that I feel more comfortable in the outdoors than I do in front of my house in a predominantly white neighborhood, because I feel like I belong on that bank of that creek fishing for for brook trout more than you know not really knowing what my neighbors think of me. I suppose I could have you know more conversations with them. And, and I tend to be an introvert, so I may be a bit of a recluse at times and, and maybe could probably do a better job of in, engaging folks. I say all that to say that the belonging piece is, is absolutely crucial. Yeah, we, we agree on that. Can we talk conservation for a minute? Because there are some inequities, for lack of a better term, within the conservation movement that I believe need to be addressed. And I think you would agree with that. 
there's a huge blind spot that needs to be looked at. And it has to do with the fact that there's a lot more to nature than what we define as wilderness. I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. The conservation movement and folks doing it focus solely on spaces devoid of people, like I was saying earlier. And urban green spaces are not things they're concerned about, even though they're way more endangered. A little plot of green in the middle of New York City is way more dangerous than Joshua Tree or Grand Canyon or all these other specialized habitats because they're surrounded by all the industry and structures and and their islands in the middle of all of this uh, human activity. And I feel like those spaces are seem to have no value. And part of me says that's because they're small and they don't really have the diversity of other spaces. And then part of me says that some of it might be places where black and brown people live. And if there's green space there, conservation movement does not value that at all. It seems like any place that has large numbers of non-white people is considered a wasteland with regards to the, the, the folks doing conservation. And I think urban green spaces should be valued as much as any remote wilderness space. But also at the same time, I feel like another part of the problem for me as a, as a, as a person of color is that there's way too many white people doing conservation. White people are the reasons conservation is necessary. If white people didn't destroy the habitat in this country, we would not be having these problems. It wasn't the indigenous people. They had a great relationship with the land. It wasn't enslaved Africans because they were too busy trying to stay alive. So the people who clearly have caused this country's conservation problem is white people. And they're the only people who are seem to be allowed to do conservation. And that, that for me is a huge, huge problem. We need more diverse approaches. We need diverse perspectives. I think indigenous people are the number one people who should be allocated funds to, to do conservation in hand in hand with perhaps some of these corporate entities that are, are causing the problem. But just having white people making all the decisions is a really bad idea from the perspective of a person of color. Thank you for being such a powerful voice for change, Dudley. I'm, I'm really glad you're out there doing what you do. But it isn't all bad news, is it? I mean, change is happening, right? Are, I mean, aren't we seeing more black and brown faces, not just in the wild places, what you talk about in your book, but also in the administrative places that help people come to grips with and understand and appreciate all these big wild places that we have? I think that every day more people of color are getting involved. They're getting involved usually in urban spaces in their communities, but there are some people who are coming into some of the major conservation organizations and, and getting administrative for director type positions. And so that is certainly growing. Dudley Edmondson nature photographer, author, speaker, filmmaker, and most important of all, a powerful advocate for social change. Dudley, I want to thank you for everything that you do. And folks, you can learn more about Dudley's work by visiting his website, 
www.dudleyedmondson.com. That's D-U-D-L-E-Y-E-D-M-O-N-D-S-O-N.com. DudleyEdmondson.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.